Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. I'm not Clint Eastwood, I guarantee you. Yeah. Hey. I wish I was. <laughs> Except he's older than I am, so maybe I wish I wasn't. Do we even provide the context for that, or we just let Kirk <laughs> randomly in the middle of a presser? I want to know who asked him about so, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> welcome to Eye on the Hawks, Black Friday, Heroes Game, Nebraska edition, Mitch Vick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell. We'll start with the context. There's, this goes back like a month. This, this is, I'm going to let you tell, tell the story, actually, because this, I think, initially started with an inquiry to Cooper DeGene, right? Yeah, kind of. It, it kind of started during the Wisconsin game. Uh, Blake Hornstein, our uh, affiliate over at WHBF with Hawkeye headquarters, he noticed that like before the road games, Kirk comes out there and he's like, he's kind of prowling in front of the team, just looking around and stuff. And uh, he does look like a badass out there for some reason. It like looks different on the road. Anyway, so uh, Blake, you know, took a little video and tweeted something about that. And I think during the next press availability, he asked Cooper DeGene, like, oh, you know, he's standing out there like Clint Eastwood, you know, what's what's he say on the road? Does Cooper like know who Clint Eastwood is? And then, and then Cooper responded, he had an answer, and then he goes, like, I guess, yeah, I don't even really know who Clint Eastwood is, and mm -hmm. so I think I made a tweet about that, you know, telling him that he needs to brush up on his film studies. Anywho, uh, Blake, Blake had told us yesterday that he was going to bring that question back and ask Kirk about um, his Clint Eastwood styles. That's the, that's the context. That's the context. We've had a few moments this year where we have been, how do you do fellow kids? <laughs> Whether it's me bringing up the Tebow speech from 2008 where Logan Jones was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But, so that's the look there. And that some is some Getty images, by the way. Yeah, that's, there's a little, little dirty hairy-ish, I guess. <laughs> I can't whistle, so I'll just do that. But there you go. Comes out, sticks, puts, the, puts the gum in and... Yeah. That's at Wrigley, isn't it? Uh, that looks like Wrigley. Yeah. Is there, I mean, is there historical context to this? Because I've kind of noticed it too that like, I'm just maybe it's because we're so far away during the home swarms that like we really can't see what Kirk's doing up there. But it seems like on the road, road swarms, he, we, he looks a little different. We used to be out there. I think it's a... He's like, there in home games. It's just there's not a lot of space. So you yeah, the, the, the tunnel's different on, on away teams on, on a, at away venues. So I think they're just out there earlier and... Gives him more time to stew, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. we used to be able to be pretty up close, like back during like the Stansy area, like or era, like 2009, 2010, because we have some really good close-up shots of him at Kinnick too. And yeah, it's just always been walk out, wait there, look focused, determined, and then uh, the yeah. swarm goes. But when Blake at, Blake first prefaced by asking him, "Have you, have you heard of Clint Eastwood?" Yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> "We've been burned before." <laughs> Blake, I promise Kirk Ferentz knows who Clint Eastwood is. <laughs> man remembers half the human population and can rattle off a story about him. We've got a great one that you asked him about, too, uh, coming up about a certain Broyles semifinalist here in a bit. But first of all, let's get through the, uh, the specifics that we always do. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks. You can follow us on Twitter, at Eye on the Hawks. Iowa's News Now YouTube channel or Instagram page is where you can get all the, the visual stuff, too. And again, we've got highlights in here and everything like that. So if you've been listening on just the podcast side, the audio, that's awesome, but hey, as we're getting into Nebraska and Indy and the bowl game, you're going to want to check out the video side, too, and get all those great highlights we've got. We're going to start, though, with a look at Nebraska. They are the ones that have the Heroes Trophy right now, and they come in in a similar situation that we saw in 2015 and probably some others where this is their chance to get into a bowl game. They need that sixth win, and they'll be leading this week with 
Chubba Purdy. You might recognize the last name because his brother was pretty darn good for the Cyclones, albeit not really against Iowa. <laughs> Never beat Iowa during his time in Ames. Brock Purdy did. Typical Hawkeye. Has done, that pretty, up. has done pretty darn good for the San Francisco. Pretty darn good. You see what I've done there. Uh, had a 55-yard touchdown <laughs> rush against Wisconsin last week. Threw for 169 yards. Had a late pick that was pretty costly, though. Here's the uh, boy. We lost. We lost Owen. The camera moved. Oh boy. This camera. See, and if you get to watch on the on the YouTube channel, man, you get to see stuff like this. We treat it live. Did you just go thriller? <laughs> Anyways, um, listen, Iowa's offense takes a lot of knocks nationally, locally as well to some extent. 28 turnovers on offense for this Nebraska offense. That is the worst in the Big Ten. It is the worst in the country. Wow. 15 interceptions, 13 fumbles they've surrendered. Wow. On the other side of the ball, though, this run defense is pretty darn good. Sixth in FBS. They give up not even 89 yards rush. Iowa's is a little... Lower down there, but still, of course, we've seen pretty darn good. So that is what Nebraska brings to the table. It's just lining up to be another one of those typical one-score games that Iowa, whether you like it or not, has made a tradition of. Kirk was asked on Tuesday when we got that media availability of just, how do you get a team to get used to being in that many close contests? Uh, you know, I think as much as anything, it's just kind of the neighborhood we live in, <laughs> and uh, wouldn't mind trying a different neighborhood at times. Uh, but we we aren't, you know, when we get there, it just doesn't seem to last long. Um, you know, it's it's the nature of, uh, and it was pretty much the same way in the '80s. A lot of close games. Yeah, the first thing is that you got to be in a game and uh, to, to win it, and then if you can be in in the fourth quarter, you got a shot to win it. So it's just kind of the way we're built, and. You know, some years are better than others. Some teams are better at it than others. And, and the ones that are uh, a little bit proficient and have a chance to be successful, and this team's proven to be that way. I guess that's the glass half full way to look at all this stuff, right, is that Iowa has some thrilling wins, including the one on Saturday against Illinois to win the West. Caleb Johnson with a late touchdown run. So the good news is that if you are on the plus side of those wins, as he said later in that soundbite, it's great, and we've talked about this quite a bit, just the Iowa approach and the philosophy of how they're going to play games. That If you're winning those close games, it's awesome. You've got a lot of thrilling memories. If you're on the other side of it where it doesn't go your way, it can get crushing, and also we've seen the bottom drop out in a few of those games as well. But listen, it's kind of by design, and again, credit to Iowa. More often than not, the design seems to work out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's interesting about this game coming against Nebraska is that these guys are no strangers to close games, yeah. especially this season. Their last three games, uh, overtime loss by seven, three-point loss, three-point loss. They've got an eight-point win uh, about a month ago. Um, they had a, a three-point loss to Minnesota to start the season. And that came uh, down to Daniel Jackson's big toe, basically. I mean, remember that catch? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was that Thursday night game to start everything. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, that's what's interesting about this game. Matt Rule was very complimentary of this Iowa very. team the other day, saying that these guys are comfortable in a close game. That's how these guys know how to play. In Nebraska, I mean, I don't want to say they're uncomfortable in it, but they have lost their last three games, which have all been close. And so that could be the deciding factor come Saturday. Who knows? They, they have lost, but they also have put up a fight against Wisconsin. They when started a 14-0 lead in that game. And going back to the turnovers, this uh, Chubba Purdy, he, he only threw one pick last week, and it was a oh, Hail Mary on 4th and 20 in, in overtime. So he went most of the game without a turnover. So I think that concerns Hawkeye fans. And going in, what, what, what's really weird is, you know, Vegas always seems to know, and, and they've got the Hawkeyes as an underdog. Really? Iowa opened as a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah. They're a two-point dog. Wow. It's kind of really? weird when I was looking at it. It doesn't. I don't know if Vegas took it seriously when Kirk jokingly said his dry sense of humor strikes again. Like, yeah, it might 
I bench the starters on Friday. Like, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not going to do that. That was like a legitimate talking point at one point. Of just like, is Kirk going to not? Like, they don't have anybody to bench right now, guys. Yeah. Have you seen the crutches there? They're single-handedly keeping medical suppliers yeah. in in business this year. So, <laughs> it's uh, boy, yeah. It's again, I was on the side of they've they've been on the plus side of those one-score games. You see what happens on the other side, and it completely can change the perspective of a team. Like, yeah, they're five and six. They need a a win to get into a bowl, but as as Kirk even alluded to, that's a tough team that's playing really good football. They've just been on the downside of those close yeah. games, and I've heard so many Hawkeye fans on social media, and I'm sure maybe you guys have the same sentiment. The more you listen to Matt Rule talk, if you're one of those Hawkeye fans that really doesn't like Nebraska, boy, he makes it tough for you to hate mm-hmm. on the Huskers. He just seems like a, a great dude who's building a good culture. Everything from uh, he had some really kind words for Kirk and Brian and, and how they've handled everything this week. He had immense praise for Brian. I think he even mentioned he tried to hire Brian as an O-line coach when he was, uh, when he was yeah, in the NFL. The NFL. Um, and he had a great speech um, during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I don't, don't know if you guys saw that on social mm. media. It went viral. Just a really powerful speech in the locker room. Yeah. He just seems like, listen, Nebraska's been looking for somebody since Tom Osborne to, to get this thing back to where those fans love to remind you they've been. And, boy, he, he seems like... 11 games in at least. The record yeah. might not be there, but boy, it feels like they, they've got a, a good dude there. I followed the Scott Frost era pretty closely sure. because I had some connections to Frost from his time at UNI. And at the, over his entire tenure almost, I was working over in Sioux City where we kind of have to cover Nebraska, Iowa, and Iowa State because we got a fan base for all three schools in that area. And so I, co- I covered his time pretty closely. And he was the guy who came in and uh, I mean, Nebraska fans did still love him right away, but yeah. he did talk some trash. I mean, he was there and he was he was ready to spout off and say, like, you better enjoy these times when you can beat us because they're going to be coming to an end yeah. soon. Uh, na- insert narrator voice. Those times did not come to an yeah. end anytime soon. Ron Howard voice from Arrested <laughs> but They didn't. <laughs> but Matt Rule's come in and, yeah, he just seems like a likable guy, a guy who is well-respected by both Nebraska fans and by his peers. It seems like pe- people really like him a lot. I really think he's going to be successful in Nebraska. Yeah. Maybe he won't show this year. Yeah. And I really wish, as a, as a fan, they would have won one of these last three games they lost by a single po- uh, <laughs> possession because um, if they were already at six wins, I think it's, it's less pressure on they still would have come in with you know trying to knock a loss on the big 10 west champs but i think they're going to be fired up to try and get to a bowl game for the what the first time in seven years yeah 2016 was their last one yep um so yeah i think that that purdy storyline is maybe the most interesting part the fact that uh brock was never able never able to beat the hawks uh the purdy family's got a lot of stakes going (laughs) into this one yeah yeah, you wonder if, and this isn't the best parallel, but you know Nick Saban was a darn good college coach, goes to the NFL, takes some lumps, come, comes back, and people kind of forget about the fact that he's a really good coach. He's done halfway decent in Alabama, I'd say. You know, Matt Rule goes to the league, gets knocked around a bit. He's found a good program, yep. and boy, you, you just, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're salivating at the opportunity, and if you're the rest of the Big Ten, even that, that expanded, boy, <laughs> yeah, Brady looked Tread pretty good too. Like I mean, he might be the quarterback. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. He's been in college football since he was, uh, he was at Florida State to start. Yeah, two he years. Really big, yeah. He was a bigger recruit than Brock coming out. I think. Yeah, and oh, really? he looked really good last week. Um, so you know, you got to think he's the quarterback of the future. And the next week, he's got some wheels. Um, move, man. And they've, that's I mean, what I'm more concerned guys. about. Is Hobberg, that Hoberg and uh, and uh, Sims? 
that was both their thing, but he, he can throw a little bit too. Mm-hmm. His fourth year of college football, and he's listed as sales a sophomore on the roster. <laughs> Dude's going to be around for COVID a years, man. It's going to yeah. screw up uh, fifth and sixth year seniors and how you designate everything uh, for a while. I was rewatching the game, and the commentator said, This kid is 22 years old. I'm like, Really? I feel like he's a sophomore. We're going to have be. so many 26 year old seniors. Like the Tory Taylor age thing, or like yeah. Nico, I think, is 25. Like that's going to be a more and more common thing over the next couple of years, just as you guys have guys taking COVID years and whatnot. One guy that I believe still has a possibility of a six-year coming back, Nick Jackson. Boy, we talked so much about Caden McNamara and so much about Eric Hall and the impact they were going to have on this team. Didn't happen. Nick Jackson sometimes getting swallowed up in the fact that he plays with Jay Higgins, who far and away is the leader in tackles across the nation. Nick's second on the team and 46 behind Jay, but I asked him about his senior day in Iowa City. Watch the tape, man. Maybe his best game as a Hawkeye, and that's saying something. And just what he's taken so far out of these 11 games in Iowa, coming in in June into the program for Virginia. I'm really thankful for the team. I mean, them embracing me and bringing me in here. Um, everything just, it couldn't have gone better just coming in here. And, and as much as I've learned, the people I got to meet, the finale of that, just all getting together and have my parents out on the field and just getting those moments and those last times in Kinnick. Um, that was awesome. I mean, I can't, I can't put it into words. It meant, meant everything. And Hawks win. Can't go wrong there. So is this what you envisioned when you decided to come here? Has it even been more than you expected? I mean, I think it's been better, honestly. I think that just – I didn't really know what I was envisioning. I didn't really know I was going to get in the transfer portal. I didn't really know a lot of different things. So I just felt like – I don't really think I ever had, like, a straight-up vision mm-hmm. of, like, what everything was going to, like, turn out to really be. But, I mean – uh, so everything just, just came out way better than I could have ever imagined. And, uh, I'm really thankful to be here, and I'm thankful for my teammates and everyone that's just, like, helped me be here. So this is what we're talking about. We still don't know if he can come back. <laughs> I was I was sure, because I was doing this math the other week to see which seniors were going to be back and which weren't. Nick Jackson played in all 14 games for Virginia in 2019, okay, 2020 season. He, he was third-team all ACC, so he played a lot, but obviously didn't count. 2021, started 12 games. 2022 started nine of ten games for Virginia, and then of course this year with Iowa, like he's he's got to be done, right? Like, is there some sort of waiver he's chasing? Eligibility that I don't know is about? just a construct, man. <laughs> he did like I was telling these guys that he did make a funny face when I was I was just asking him yesterday about like, oh, what was Senior Day like? Knowing this was your last time out on the field, you know, you're out of eligibility, blah blah. And right as I was saying that, he kind of went, huh? and I went, huh? Huh? <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean by making that face? This is a nine-second soundbite of just guys going, hmm? Hmm. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, uh, the, I assume he's gone. The but. line of the day from Nick Jackson, though, his, if you follow him on Twitter, it's Nick J. Hoops. And he was asked about, uh, I think somebody from the DI asked him what his best sport was besides football. And without hesitation, he goes, oh, basketball. I'm the hmm. 6'1 LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> I think every D1 athlete <laughs> and higher think they could play professional sports in the other <laughs> difference in basketball. Out, um, Jordan Loperino, one of our friends and an avid listener, pointed out, Jay Higgins has talked a lot about how good he is at basketball. So sometime in the offseason, we got to get Higgins and Jackson yeah. on the hardwood somewhere, ideally in Carver, <laughs> and just playing, playing 21. Throwing a healthy Cooper DeGene, and that kid's going to rock the go. rim. And just, again, Nick Jackson, when he, when he announced his transfer in, people were like, hey, this guy's got a ton of tackles. He's going to, unless he something happens, which can't rule it out in this season, he's going to have four straight 100 tackle seasons. And he kind of got swallowed up in, in the, the transfer 
fury of, hey, Cade's here. That's awesome. Eric Hall's coming. And all this folks on the offense, there was acknowledgement of like, hey, Nick Jackson's coming. That's going to be great after, you know, Jack and Seth graduate. He has been, again, the only fault is that he plays behind the guy who's going to be an All-American and Jay Higgins, not behind, but on the same linebacking core, where he's second on the team, but he's 46 tackles behind. Nick Jackson (laughs) has been unbelievable this year. He just had to play pass protection those first two games so much that he'd probably already be at 100 right now if it weren't for that. He's been everywhere just as much as Jay has. Yeah, just needs 13 more tackles right now, which you got to think with three games left, he'll he'll average. Yeah, he's really been the forgotten man on defense, especially when all those transfers came in. And you didn't know, I mean, you figured he'd plug and play, but you didn't, I mean, I'm sure no Hawkeye fans watched a lot of Virginia Cavalier football last year, so they didn't know exactly how good this guy was, mm-hmm. but he's exceeded all expectations. He made a comment a few games ago, might have been the Rutgers if he talked against Rutgers, um, about his decision to come here, and he's just seemed really grateful. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that's a really good soundbite from him, and I don't think we ended up using it for the show, but maybe I'll post it on the Twitter timeline later. There's a lot of guys, Deacon talked about it too, um, in in reference to, I think, just his his growth the last few games, too, just kept talking about being grateful. I think that was in the postgame on Saturday, just, like, super grateful that he's been able to come as far as he has. And, yeah, it's just uh, you hear that a lot from a lot of players. It feels like the guys are just they're they're looking for a place to, to fit in, find a home, and more often than not, it sounds like they find it here. I'm assuming he's going to be gone next year, and I would I would really like to see him get you know a chance in the NFL. He's he's not going to be a first round draft pick like to, right? like, like uh, Jack Campbell, but I could see him being you know maybe a fifth, sixth round uh, like a late round pickup for somebody. I mean he's he's just got good motor, good kid to go out there and could stick somewhere on a roster. I ju- I just can't get over the fact <laughs> that he's going to have four years of a hundred. Like guys would kill to have one. <laughs> Jay Higgins has one one hundred tackle. Season. It just so happens it's this one where he's mm-hmm. going to push 150 by the and, end of this. And by the way, with Jay Higgins, I know, I mean, speaking of awards and possible snubs, Jay Higgins was not announced to be a finalist for the Buckus Award, which goes to the nation's best linebacker. Yeah. Somehow they deemed him not to be he one of the five best. leads power five in tackles. And he's not one of the five best linebackers in the country? you got to be kidding me. You do wonder with, with things like that, and again, I'm on the record of how I feel about trophies, particularly like subjective individual honors where it's all that kind of stuff like what Jay Higgins means to this program particularly this season does not fit in a trophy case to begin with you know what I mean like that stuff's awesome I think sometimes I mean you could argue Jack could have won it in 2022 gets or in 2021 gets it in 2022 they kind of become like career achievement awards to a certain extent the fact that he only did it for whether or not that should happen yeah um but maybe that's what happened with with Jay is that it's just, well, he did it for one year, but these guys have done it. I, and I couldn't even tell you the finalists, but I, have I wonder, no clue. Yeah. wonder if that's the case. But, hey, listen, Jay Higgins is going to be an All-American, and if he's not, who cares to to a certain extent because, again, the the awards are, are what they are. But, man, when you tell the story of the 2023 Iowa Hawkeyes, Big Ten West champs, still with stuff on the plate, you're going to talk about Jay Higgins, the captain, who was anywhere and everywhere at all times. And he had a fumble recovery. And he had a pick against Wisconsin. Like He just, as good a story as there's been in a defense that always has great stuff. Obviously, you know, we're a little biased covering <laughs> Iowa. And I, I believe that, you know, Jay deserved to be a finalist. Here are the five that made it. Peyton Wilson. And again, I, I preface this with, I've probably watched one of these games. Sure. Um, Peyton Wilson from NC State. Um, He's up there. Dufon, Ufolcio from Washington. So they're having a great year. They're undefeated. 
right now. We got a Missouri linebacker, Tyron Hopper. They're having a great season too. They're ranked ninth, I think, ninth or eighth. Nathaniel Wilson from uh, Mississippi State and Edrian Cooper from uh, Texas A&M. So that dude from Old Dominion who leads the nation in tackles, isn't he a linebacker? Yeah. Yeah. He's not even on there? Come on. You'd be hard-pressed to give Old Dominion, you know what I mean? Just because... How dare you? <laughs> You're not disrespecting Monarchs. <laughs> Taylor Both Heineke would like a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big Taylor Heineke guy. Big Taylor Heineke guy. Well, we're going to take a break, and afterwards we're going to talk about the next next man in. That has been the theme of this season, and been a nice little surprise to get a guy who's kind of a backup everywhere on the O-line plugging in for Logan Jones and Tyler Ellsbury. He's done a heck of a job. We'll talk about that after this. So we got a little bit of clarity from Kirk on Tuesday about Logan Jones' situation. He's been in and out of the lineup the last couple games, really since the bye with, a, with an ankle situation. Tyler Ellsbury's plugged in and done pretty darn well, all things considered. Ellsbury was kind of in the Nick DeYoung boat where He's a great backup across all five positions. Boy, if you got one guy who can do that, great. you got two. You've got something special in the reserves for the O-line. He's plugged in at center, though, and has looked really good. He had a couple starts a couple years ago at a guard position, I believe. But it sounds like, according to Kirk, Logan Jones isn't going to be 100% until maybe the bowl game. So this is something he's just going to have to fight through to maybe get out there Friday, maybe get out there next Saturday in Indy. Uh, it sounded like, aside from Bo Steve and the Deontay Vines, everybody's got a chance. So we'll see if Logan's back out there. But Tyler Ellsbury, we got to talk to him for the first time all season on Tuesday as well. Hear from his perspective, getting thrown back into one of those spots he was backing up. And Kirk also talked about Tyler just finally being at a point where maybe he believes in himself that he can be part of that great Hawkeye O-line. You know, going from kind of backup utility guy, you know, been a backup at pretty much every position, uh, to, you know, teammate goes down and, and uh, I have to step in there and perform for, for the guys. Uh, it's really special. It means a lot to me. Um, but, you know, it's also part of the job. that That's why I came here. I came here to play, you know, play snaps. So I get that opportunity now to do that and to go perform in front of my teammates, in front of the crowd. So it's been, it's been exciting and uh, it's been definitely a boost of energy for me. I mean, you lose Logan Jones, who's one of our best players and one of our best guys to a core guy. So you lose that and you, you wonder, like, you know, how many how many of these, you know, pings can we keep taking here? Um, and as I said the other night, I, me personally, I think Tyler has been capable of this. But now he's hopefully he's he's seeing himself for himself that he can do this, because I think there's a little shadow of doubt uh, somewhere in the back there. And um, yeah, at some point you got to get in the water and swim. And he's done that very, very well. And it's a tough position to play. Um, so just a lot of credit to him. You, you touched on he's one of the few guys that we've had that could probably play all five positions. That's really rare. Uh, but but the thing that was lacking for him was that confidence, in my opinion. And, you know, I'm not saying he's there yet, but he, he sure should be further down the road now. I'm, I'd probably say this as a, as a littler guy. The idea of being offensive lineman sized and lacking confidence <laughs> it's quite the juxtaposition but it's everyone's human everyone bleeds yeah it, it happens so it's and we got again got to talk to Tyler for the first time yesterday just an affable dude seemed super happy yes. super upbeat uh was very excited you heard him serve I came to have snaps and I'm getting snaps uh he has been in this season of next man in has been one of the guys you probably put on the top side of he's kind of been as close to plug in play as you're going to get with that because I think of his versatility, I'd imagine. He had a fun, I mean, well, I'll say as a, as a bigger gentleman, wider framed fella, um, I, I can, I can definitely relate to Tyler in that way because like high school ball, I looked, you know, similar to this. I was six foot two, 220, like perfect 
football size. I mean, I should have been a great like defensive end and offensive lineman, but I sucked. I was terrible <laughs> because I did not have any confidence. I got bullied a lot in high school. Like I was just not like a guy who went out there and had a lot of like thoughts of like, yes, I'm going to dominate these guys. And I'm just not like a super physical dude who like is comfortable being violent with another sure. person like that just is not in my headspace, and so I, you know, I, I always feel like I should have been better at football, but I just didn't have the right mindset and confidence to be able to to be able to do that. But um, he told a funny story because I asked him about like, you know, what have you learned from Logan Jones? And I was like, did you play with Linderbaum too? And he's like, yeah. And he said, he said that his his dad and Tyler Linderbaum's dad coached together at Tipton for a short period really? of time, back a long time ago, and so I, I don't know how long. Because he graduated from high school in Illinois, so he must. Yeah, his Byron, family he, must he was repping for uh, for Byron High School with the uh, the pole over there yesterday. Yeah, so. but uh, anyway, so him and the Linderbaums have had connections for a long time, and yeah, he would he would have played behind uh, Tyler back, you know, uh, whatever two three years ago. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's always fun to to talk to those O linemen because again, those are even with Iowa having the O line tradition they do. They always get lost in the shovel. We're focused on the skill positions of the quarterback or everybody else. We're trying to get somebody from the defense onto the offense or something like that. Uh, they are some of the most fun guys to talk to. I mean, we spend a part of a podcast talking about Jennings Dunker's diet, which I believe somebody told me Mason Richmond pushed back on it a little bit. Maybe he <laughs> doesn't even believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, eating during a game just sounds wild. Like, <laughs> sounds I, sick. I like wait like three hours before I eat to go work out, and I don't even do a hard workout because I don't want to throw up. Yeah. But I can't imagine while you're in the throw, you know, just... It's true. Just like trying to push a 300-pound defensive lineman that you wouldn't just throw up. Especially being full, like being full, like really full is one of the like grossest feelings for a person. And can you imagine going out there and having to like battle in the trenches of a Big Ten game while you're like just stuffed to the gills? The last thing I want to do after a meal is create kinetic energy in any way, shape or form. (laughs) I struggle, I can't remember if we talked about this on mic or off mic, like I've run a few half marathons in my day. I struggled to even like put down an energy gel. I'm like, I don't want any, like, I'll take a quick like sip of water, but yeah. like, A, I don't want to stop because the minute I stop, I'm going to lose all motivation. Yeah. B, I don't want anything else in my body. Like I'm already feeling like my legs are already heavy. It's mile nine. I don't want to eat like flavored toothpaste type stuff because <laughs> that's supposed to give me a boost. Yeah, I just, the, the fact that they are taking down like a day's worth, a day and a half's worth of calories while it's probably playing is wild. It's probably why they're uh, in division one football and yeah. we're sitting out here because of uh, mental block. You know, uh, <laughs> The daycare I used to work at in college, she used to tell the kids, food is fuel, so we're probably running low on fuel, and that's probably so why we weren't good at sports. So much fuel, though. Yeah. They're not, I mean, they are kind of tankers, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> that fuel is spilling out of the gas tank at that oh, point. Oh, man, hey, it's been working for Iowa O-line for a long, long time, so uh, as great coaches have said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We should, before we get into the next, uh, <clears throat> speaking of guys who said that, 25 years ago today, as we record this on, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Hayden Fry retired from Iowa. Watched a little bit of that press conference speech yeah. and shared it, and I think we're going to try and dig through our uh, our archives here at, at Broadcast Park because we were certainly there. We um, that was always a fun thing to share in in December when he gets hired on the anniversary of that because he kind of like mm. came in and more or less told you exactly what he was going to do over the next two decades. You guys, uh, I think that you maybe I don't know if you were a Hawkeye fan in 1998. Uh, I I didn't watch much because I was only like eight years old. Yeah, I started watching like 2001. Yeah, I, I remember watching at least one game with my dad. Um, either it might have been Kirk's first year or Hayden's last year, but um, yeah, I don't remember too much from his days. I was just curious to ask you, Mitch, maybe even if you remember like whatever where you were, or how old you would have been when you found out that Hayden Fry was retiring. It was '98, so I would have been 12. 
I don't remember where I was. I do vividly remember like just the image of Hayden Fry growing up as a kid because he had such an, I mean, people are Hayden Fry for Halloween yeah. nowadays, you know, just still. Yeah. But the aviators and the hat and just, I think it was his essence more or less that, that I remember more just because, again, I, yeah, like you, I wasn't watching a ton of football. My cousin Hayden, though, was named after him, so yeah. yeah. I bet. I feel like there's a lot of that in Iowa. I'm sure Iowa leads the nation in babies named Hayden. Hayden I, and Kinnick, without a doubt. But I wonder by how much, and Niall, by the way, I feel Niall, like there's yeah. a lot of Niles out there too. I know a couple of Niles. Like, are there three times as many Haydens as in any other state? I feel like that number's got to be just astronomical. Hayden's a pretty trendy girl name. I know we're getting off topic, but yeah. I think they, if you're looking just yeah. for a male name, I think it would. But it's a pretty trendy girl name with Hayden Christensen. Oh, no, that's who Hayden Panettiere. Panettiere, yes. Hayden Heroes. Christensen is also oh, a man. Remember the Titans, too. <laughs> of course. That's oh, wow, like, that's her? Oh, you didn't know that? No, mind blown. <laughs> you didn't know that's her? No. Oh, man. Makes sense, though. How great is she in that movie? She she should win an award for Remember Titans. She was fantastic. <laughs> and she was probably, you know, you've always got like a 13-year-old playing an 8-year-old somehow <laughs> in those Disney movies. But, I mean, she was she was a powerhouse in that mm-hmm. movie. So was yeah. Ryan Gosling. I've only seen it once. I don't have a lot of memories. I remember the title. There's so many great actors in the movie. There's uh, the guy who plays Ronnie Bass was on like season six of Mad Men. Oh, yeah. It's always fun seeing those. The guy from Scrubs. Donald Faison. Faison. Yeah, Donald. The guy from Scrubs. <laughs> Bad enough you didn't know that was Hayden Panettiere. The guy from I, Scrubs. I, I knew that because I used to watch Heroes, but... Zach Braff was in Remember the Titans. I remember knowing that fact in 2007 when Heroes was relevant, but Hayden Panettiere hasn't, her name hasn't popped up a whole lot no. in the last 15 years. She was in uh, was a show called Nashville. So, yeah, I didn't watch yeah, that. Yeah, she was great in that. But she was in that. Yeah, well, the mom from Friday Night Lights was in that there show. But yeah, so Hayden Fry retired 25 years ago today. <laughs> Luckily, we managed to <laughs> turn that into Donald Faison. And, and Hayden Panettiere retired Jones. 15 years ago today, I think. Petey Jones, running back. The running back, y'all. That's an all-time line from that. All right, speaking of... Guys who are real darn good. Phil Parker, who is somehow a zero-time Broyles Award winner. I don't know. He's a semifinalist again. Either give it to him or name the trophy after him in honor of him. (laughs) Uh, Kirk Ferentz, he's probably shared the story before. We saw the emotional uh, exchange there in the locker room after Phil told the locker room on Saturday that Kirk had surpassed Bo Schembechler for a third on the all-time wins list in the Big Ten with that win over Illinois. Kirk in the postgame said something like, well, he's a Michigan State guy <laughs> slamming on a Michigan guy. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Kirk first discovered Phil Parker while scouting Michigan State during his days as assistant. Owen, I think you asked him about just his yeah. history with Phil Parker. And uh, as Kirk tends to do, he had stories. But I always watched Phil Parker back there in the back end, and he always reminded me of a Stoops, like he could be a cousin of the Stoops family. And if he came here, he'd have to be a Stoops. So I've been four of them certain at safety. But they were so similar and just, you know, an outsider looking in. But he was a smart player, a tough player. Uh, he was a three-time All-Big Ten player. And that, that's really hard to do. Guys throw terms around. There aren't many guys that were three-time All-Big Ten. And, you know, I don't think he was a combine guy, but, boy, he was a football player. And I, I just kind of followed him for whatever reason. So, um, you know, move on. You know, he got done coaching. He, he went to Toledo, first full-time job. It's the only job he had until he came here. And uh, I didn't hire Norm with this in mind, but after we made the decision to make Norm our coordinator, we started talking about secondary coaches, first position you talk about. And he brought up Phil's statement. I was like, let's, let's, you know, I'm all for it. Let's bring him in here. 
course, Kirk referring to Norm Parker, the late and the great Norm Parker, who was the D.C. at Michigan State. It is wild to me to think, though, that if Kirk Ferentz just didn't happen to be scouting Michigan State and seeing this precocious safety back there who ends up being a three-time All-Big Tenor, maybe they don't have the relationship that they do. Maybe Phil Parker doesn't make it to Iowa because he doesn't remember that guy. Yeah. It's just wild. Like, just got to scout the right game at the right time. Had to be such a strange connection for uh, Kirk at that time. I mean, it's, it's weird to think that those guys go back. I mean, it's such an incredible story. That they go back 25 years together. That They've been on staff together at Iowa for 25 years. But that just adds another layer to that story, that these guys have had a connection for longer than even Mitch and I have been alive, you know, going back to the, to the mid to early 80s, going on f- nearing 40 years that those guys have had some sort of connection to each other. There's also, and this has nothing to do with how great he is, but yeah, I know, I remember when, um, when he first got the job, I, I couldn't have been the only one. I kind of thought he was Everyone uh, Norm thought he was Parker's related son Norm. or something like that. Why would there yeah. be two families of Parker? I think exactly. I but he's not. Was, no relation. If I forget if it was you or Nick Wag that had to tell me that, like for the first like two years that he was the DC, every time you mentioned Phil Parker's name, you had to like clarify like not related <laughs> to Norm Parker. Un- no relation to Norm it's Parker. It's kind of true. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of true. <clears throat> and and the fact that they were, I mean, no, I mean, people forget about Norm. I mean, it's probably because it's been like ten years, but he was such a great defensive coordinator in his own right. I mean. Yep. I don't know if he ever won the Broyles Award, but he probably should have. Yeah. Just because I remember how good his defenses were in like 02, 03, 04, 09. They were lights out. One of the most iconic Norm stories I've ever heard, I wasn't down there, it was for the Orange Bowl in 2010 where they held Georgia Tech's triple option attack, which nobody could stop, to 37 yards in the first half. I remember that because I was on the Georgia Tech sideline during the game um, walking behind their bench, and they just like, Nobody knew what to do. Like they were just genuinely confused about what was going on. No Iowa, but no Iowa coaches have ever won the Broyles. It's been around since '96, so not a real old award. But some notable names on there: Steve Sarkeesian won it at Bama, uh, Brent Venables won it at Clemson, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, Tom Herman won it at Ohio State, um, Gus Malzahn won it at Auburn, Kirby Smart won it, um, Jim Haycock, who was a semifinal wait is he the guy who's at Iowa State right yeah, now? Yeah, he's the Iowa State defense. He's a semifinalist this year. I don't think he's a finalist. Well, t- Tom Herman was the OC at uh, at Iowa State for a while there. Too. Gene Chizik, speaking of Iowa State. Chizik. Greg Davis won it, won it in 05 with Texas. <coughs> I was talking uh, we've got a Friday episode of Eye on the Hawks coming out with Matt Vandenberg and he talked about starting his Hawkeye career with the Greg Davis offense and moving into to Brian's in his, his last year so tune in for that on Friday. My favorite Broyles Award winner in 2000 for Oklahoma Mark Mangino. Kansas legend. Love, man. <laughs> what he what he did in Lawrence was yep. super, super fun. Yeah, one of the best Norm stories, again, going back to that Orange Bowl year, um, Jared Aarons was down there and talked about, and I think this was around the time where Norm, I don't I don't think he was walking anymore, if maybe he had a cane or was wheelchair or something like that. You know, Norm in the last few years was was hanging on. He was talking about how to defend the triple option, and he had like I don't know if they were like solo cups or some sort of like just water cups on the desk there as we were doing like bowl, bowl media availability. And he was just line, lining cups up and going through X's and O's. And I'm sure we probably have that somewhere in, on one of Jared's old tapes of him just like moving cups around and just teaching the media. Like, mm-hmm. well, if they pull this way, you got to go this way. And, just, and he would just, and just probably did his master class just using like paper cups <laughs> on how to defend this. And that was, that was norm whether it was physically like that or uh, schematically, just going to find a way to stop you. It didn't, didn't matter how he was going to do it. He was going to figure out a way. Yeah, but Phil Parker, he's a legend. And, I, I mean, you got to think that even though 
these guys who aren't head coaches don't always get the acclaim, don't get the recognition, but he's got to be, I have to think, like a member of the Iowa Athletics Hall of Fame one day. If not, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many college football Hall of Fame members are just assistant coaches, never were head coaches, but, man, he's, he's been a legend here. There's a reason people around the country know the name Phil Parker, even though he's only a coordinator. He is as good as it gets. From a guy who's been doing it for a long time, from a guy who, to a guy who hasn't been doing it a long time but has a car that's been going for a long time. Deacon Hill, you might have heard Kirk mention a couple weeks back, has got, I guess, what you'd consider a bit of a beater. He's got a 33-year-old Volvo that uh, everyone's always kind of wondered about. We heard Kirk mention it of just, you know, hey, like this kid's just got a, kind of a beat-up car, but it gets, again, as Kirk said about the Iowa in 2021 after they won the West, not the prettiest car in the lot, but we get from point A to point B pretty good. Similar uh, sentiment echoed when Owen asked the Deacon yesterday about that old junker. I love there. my car. Yeah. Everybody, whatever, you know, they could call it whatever they want. It gets me to point A to point B. I bought it for a hundred bucks when I was a sophomore in high school. So that's all I need, man. I don't need a bunch of fancy things. How much have you put into it since then? Maybe More than a hundred? Yeah, maybe four grand in like seven years. I mean, it's not, it's uh, like 33 years old, so. Okay. Has it made the trip from California to Iowa? I mean, we shipped it, it. There was no chance that okay. car was going to make it there. I know it's, I know it's boundaries, but I love that car. Yeah. I know it's boundaries, but I love it. Doesn't that kind of feel like Iowa football? Again, like the the parallel between what Kirk said in 21, but an Iowa team that, hey, we know what we're really good at. We're going to lean into it. We're not going to get outside. We're not going to drive from California to Iowa, <laughs> but we know what we do, so we're going to lean into that and make sure we're we're playing to the strengths, so to speak. Yeah. That's That feels very Iowa 2023-ish. That's true. We need to, we need to find that car and do a... Uh, I don't know. The parallels between that and Iowa football are, are so it's a tough one to miss. I'll bring a photo. I, we don't have a photo of his actual car, but if I, I've only seen it once, so correct me if I'm wrong. This is kind of what it looks like, different color though. It's a little newer than that, but yeah, it's this would have been 33 years old, 98 or 88. Maybe it is. Yeah, his has a little more rust. It's got some <laughs> stickers in it. It's different color too. It's, it's blue, I believe, right? Yeah, Bluish, yeah, yeah. gray. Um, is it like the car that? Uh, they drove in, um, the Anders drove in uh, Workaholics. <laughs> like workaholics. The so I, I put in here, do you guys remember your first cars? And then if there's a different answer, do you remember your worst car? One that was maybe hanging on by a same, like, same answer for me. Yeah. I had a uh, 90, my first car was a 93 Oldsmobile. Um, and it was, I mean, I got it for like under a thousand, I think. Sure. And yeah, I had a few, I got one worst car in high school. Although I don't think it was the worst car. It was, it just looked ugly. It's never the one. Yeah. They just pick somebody to pile up on. Man. Um, my, my family has just always shared cars up all the way up through like, you know, halfway through my college years. But one of the first ones I drove was, uh, it was a Chevy Citation. You guys ever seen a Citation? They're a hatchback. I've had a Citation. <laughs> Never driven one. Uh, the, yeah, I've had a few on the Iowa campus <laughs> as recently as this fall. Um, it's uh, yeah, it was a gray old Chevy Citation. Boy, that was a. I mean, man, that thing got me around. And then my sister flipped it into a ditch one day when she was driving home at, from her boyfriend's late and fell asleep. You sound way more but, perturbed about. <laughs> oh, I'm annoyed. You should yeah. <laughs> that Citation could have lasted. Why is another this decade. on its roof? Um, and man, in college, I I can't even like recall the brand and name of this car it was a piece of crap but it was another kind of like hatchback faux station wagon um type of thing but i forget what even what even brand that thing was but i've i've driven a lot of bad cars in my day my first was my dad's old 88 chevy blazer which i unfortunately mm. got into a wreck no i didn't flip it 
uh, got hit on Johnson Avenue, pulling onto Johnson Avenue, kind of by, um, I can't remember the, the crossroad, but just like just to like the south, I guess it would be, south or to the west of uh, Drugtown, the old Hy-Vee drugstore now. Um, my worst car, only by length that I was able to have it, a little comparable to what, uh, what Deacon has. So this was April of 2019. I bought from my dad's friend's neighbor <laughs> a 97 Audi A4, but it only had like 100,016 miles on it. Like it was a city car, never taken out of the city. Didn't have a CD player, had a tape deck. I unironically bought $20 worth of Huey Lewis tapes. I was in heaven. This isn't a, I watched American Psycho and think it's funny to listen to Huey Lewis. I love Huey Lewis in the news very much. So I listened to that and it had AC. That was the reason I got a new car. I was like, I need air conditioning. This was not a car that was meant to go on the interstate. So naturally, I took it onto the interstate. <laughs> I was driving to a wedding in Des Moines in like July of that year. So like three months later, part of the side paneling broke off while I was on I-80, ripped into my tire, pull over, missed the whole wedding, had to get the tire changed and towed and everything like that. Three months after that, three or four months in November, like right around this time uh, in 2019, had taken it up to Minnesota for a game around Jessup was coming back, a belt broke on it and it was gone. So in seven months, I went from having this car that only had 100,000 miles on it in like 20 some years of life to just totaled. Mm. I paid like two grand for it. And so it was basically like just paying like seven months worth of car payments, a little less than that. It was a f good car. It just was never meant to go over like 55 months. It was the opposite of the bus on speed. <laughs> don't, don't push it to 55. <laughs> this, this car doesn't know it. it's uh I should have known it's Should have known it's Yeah, got to learn from. Deacon. I should have just yeah, learned it from everywhere. Deacon Hill. Yeah, that was a. F I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad he was so, so defensive of it too. Like, no, I love my car. Nobody could say anything about it. Uh, that was awesome. We'll get back on track. We'll get, look at our picks and uh, have a little Thanksgiving kicker to finish things off right after the break. All right, it's our favorite part of the show, where we make picks and. Really hope we've got it figured out this time. We got a fun week this week. We got two Black Friday games, which is awesome. Uh, and then we'll get into the rest of the slate there on Saturday as well. Of course, you got the, the game to figure out the Big Ten East coming up on 11 a.m. on Fox on Saturday. So that'll be a fun one. But let's start with the other Black Friday game. Penn State, 11th in the country, 21-point favorite at East Lansing playing against Michigan State. A Michigan State team that record's not there, but, boy, we, we've seen them in – a lot of games with a lot of different teams. What do we got there? Won two of their last three games, beat Nebraska by three, lost to Ohio State, and then beat Indiana. Um, I think that at home with Penn State, uh, not, not quite on quit watch, but uh, they are kind of sputtering towards the end of the season after a loss to some good teams. I can see Michigan State hanging around in this game. I'll take the Spartans to. Drew Aller's a little deserve. beat up, too. Yeah. yeah, Penn State, I mean, they were just barely scraping by against Rutgers last week. Yeah, um, 21 is a big spread for a team uh, like Penn State who doesn't, I mean, what are, are they actually playing for other than the 10th win just like Iowa? Yeah. Um, you know, I still, I'm going to take the Penn, Penn State. I just think they're a better team than Michigan State. I'm going to do the same because they are playing for a 10th win, which I feel like is a, a big deal for any team, but they're also playing for a spot in the New Year's, New Year's Six. I mean, if they if they slip up, you're not putting a 93 team on a, on a January 1 bowl or any of those bigger ones. So I think I think they'll lock in. It's, it looks like Aller will likely be ready, but I think they'll be able to, to close out with a win and keep up in that top 10-12 range mm -hmm. in the uh, CFP standings. 
the the game of games on Saturday, also uh, like we said on Fox, number two Ohio State at number three Michigan. The winner goes to Indy. The winners still in the playoff race. You could maybe argue the loser has an outside shot. I mean, that was what happened last year, but I don't think so. Last night on uh, the ESPN show after they released it said if Michigan wins, Ohio State probably has the best shot, and they gave a wild scenario. Yeah, there'd be like take a lot. A lot yeah. of things have to go wrong, but. I don't see it this year unless I, I feel all the like a, favorites lose. A Pac-12 team's got to get in, either Oregon or Washington. Washington's number four right now. I feel um, like a, is Oregon f- six. Oregon, um, yeah, Florida State's fifth. I feel Florida like State's fifth, and yeah, and it, it kind of depends on how the SEC goes because I feel like even if Georgia loses the SEC title game, they could still get in, and then yeah, they'd have they to could probably drop to like two. three or four. So um, a lot of things have to go wrong. Maybe Bama plays their way. I don't know. Big 12 team could get in. You know, Texas could maybe play. The scenario were, that they said was the most interesting, and I agree, is just if if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas wins out and um, you'd have, you know, Michigan or Ohio State, one of those two, you'd have um, Washington if they win. They'd be undefeated. So you, there's two undefeateds. Then uh, the third team would be Florida State if they won. Yeah. And then the fourth team, would it be Texas or Alabama with the same record, both champions, and Texas beat Alabama? Yeah. Gotta That'd go. be an interesting one. Wolverines are a three-point favorite at home against Ohio State. We've already talked about a little bit on on Sunday. Who would we want to see if you're Iowa in the title game? Feel like the consensus was maybe a little more Ohio State, just because JJ McCarthy is a Heisman contender. He's a little banged up too, um, compared to Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord's really come on as he's gotten more comfortable playing. Who do you uh, who do you guys got? I do believe Ohio yeah. State, too, recently got back. Um, what's their running back name? Henderson. Yeah. He missed a few games. Uh, at least when they played Rutgers, he was missing them, and they were missing a wide receiver, too. So they are. Who was beat up for a while. He's back. They're at full strength, which might be a little, I mean, it'd be tough to stop any of these teams. But um, I think, I just think I'm going to pick Michigan until, you know, they won the last two years and until Ohio State can, can get out. I know it's, it's weird to say because they won, like, you know, seven or nine in a row against Michigan, but. I got to pick with Michigan. I, I think they're going to pull it out at home. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, go ahead. I think I'm going to take Ohio State. I don't know if they if they lose 24-23 because th- a field goal spread is so tough. I feel like Ohio State's getting healthy at the right time. Michigan's still got so yeah. much stuff going on. You, you feel like they can't sustain that much behind-the-scenes turmoil. Now there's talks of like, um, I think it was Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was on the herd yesterday and said something like, "If what he's hearing is true, then Harbaugh's not going to be coaching there next year." I mean, there's just yeah. there's a ton going on there, and I think Ohio State. All they there's no expectations. I think for Ohio State because because the last two years have been so one sided for Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's weird to say, but Ohio State's an underdog, <laughs> not just in the spread, but I think just in like the public mind. And I think this is. This is an opportunity for them to go into boy, they'll love to do it in Ann Arbor too. Yeah. Go in and hit Michigan in the mouth and get back to the top of the Big Ten East. I think the Buckeyes could not just cover that, I think they could win outright. I'm a little shaken by Michigan's performance against Maryland last week. I mean, they, they barely snuck that one out against a Maryland team that struggled in the second half of the year. I think I'm going to take Ohio State in this one. Um, but, man, this has got to be like maybe the most anticipated game of the entire season. I think it's going to be a great game, yeah. too. I think it's really going to... Oh, you guys already jumped to Indiana-Purdue, the old Oak and Bucket game? 
I'm just kidding. I, I legit, <laughs> I think that's going to be a fun, fun game. By the way, Purdue uh, news, TJ Sheffield, great wide receiver for them in the transfer portal right now. That's all we'll say about that. Purdue's a three-and-a-half-point home favorite against the Hoosiers, but tongue-in-cheek, Mike, but this is a fun game. This is, I mean, in-state rivalries, man. These, These are, two teams, too, have kind of been up and down all season. Yeah, um, yeah. They can put up points, too. They've yeah. both shown. It, it might be a good uh, watch if it's not. What time? It's not It's not the same time as the game, is it? You'll think. No, it's, you'll flip in oh, between. Oh, it is. Yeah. 11 a.m. BTN. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Purdue here. Just because I've been burned in the past few weeks with, with picking Indiana. Yeah, same here. I'm going to do the same. Uh Tyrone Tracy's been playing great. Hudson Card's been playing great. Maybe he's finally getting healthy. We saw how banged up he was against Iowa. Yeah, uh, he's coming along. The Illinois team that Minnesota, that Iowa just beat uh, to clinch the Big Ten West is back at home, a five and a half point favorite. In another in-state game. They are hosting Northwestern, who's trying to go to seven and five. David Braun, right there with the rest of the Big Ten Coach of the Year f- favorites. Uh, that's a big. Big spread for a team that's pretty darn good in Northwestern from what we've seen. I think I'm liking Illinois in this game. They've won three of their last five games, and their two losses were by two to Iowa, um, and they lost a close one uh, by four to Wisconsin. Um, and these guys are on, in the exact same boat as Nebraska right now, where they need that sixth win to get bowl eligible. Um, I Yeah, I think that, well, let's see. So Illinois is a five-and-a-half-point favorite? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'll stick with Illinois. I, I think Illinois could easily win this game. Um, it's an interesting spread, though. You know, we talk about Northwestern season, and they've exceeded expectations. Um, five points, though. Um, I think it'd be closer than that. So I think I'm going to go Northwestern here. I'm going to go with Illinois. I think, again, John, John Paddock didn't complete more than half his passes against Iowa, but boy, he, aside from having 13 pass breakups, they uh, he he looked about as good as you could against. Yeah. Uh, this Iowa defense, and I think he could get back to, to where he was against Indiana when he was Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week and just throw it all over. He is he's a fun quarterback, man, and I think the, the only problem he had last week is that he was playing against Iowa's defense. I think he can get back to that form that he showed the last couple weeks, stepping in for Altmeyer, and uh, Illinois gets that sixth win and covers the five and a half. Another great rivalry game. I believe it's either the oldest rivalry game or the oldest rivalry trophy in college football. It's one of those two. Wisconsin at Minnesota. Gophers have the axe right now, but Badgers are a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, 230 kick on FS1. And you know the series total here? It's dead even, isn't 62, it? 62, 62, eight ties. Yeah, wow. No. Um, Minnesota's trying to win for the third year in a row for the first time since 87. They won four years from 84 to 87. Um which would be, you know, just amazing for golfer fans if they can keep the axe. Talked and about the this pig. during the Florida Rosedale week. Like, for the longest time, Iowa and, and Minnesota could go back and forth with Floyd. Minnesota just could not win the axe, <laughs> and it was just every calamity possible. They had some wild punt get blocked in 2005. That was the game. I think that was an 11 a.m. game right before the the Notre Dame USC game, the big Bush push game. That was one of the early games that day, if I remember correctly. They just couldn't win the axe, and now. They couldn't win the pig forever, but they've won the axe three times uh, under the Fleck regime. So it's it's such a fun rivalry too. Those those are fan bases that don't. There was a stretch from 2004 to 2017 where they lost every single year to yep. Wisconsin. They've only won it five times since '95. This is a uh, man. I, I after saying all that though, I think I'm still going to pick Wisconsin <laughs> to cover this. They, they they're hungry for another Minnesota start. There are the folks in the Twin Cities aren't particularly happy with how things are going, uh, especially when they saw Jerry Kill get that win over Auburn with New Mexico State <laughs> uh, a couple of days ago. Wow, that was uh, 
people were wondering if Jerry should come back. But <laughs> it's, uh, man, tough year for Minnesota. They've had a, a close win in, at Iowa, and the Illinois game just slips away on that last possession, and they go to Purdue and just get housed. And I think somehow they put it together, though. Senior day in, in Minneapolis, I think they can cover the two and a half. They are in the, literally the exact same boat as Nebraska. Both teams. So many five and six teams. Both teams, <laughs> after eight games, Oops. had five wins. And so they were one win away from eligibility, and each of them have lost three games since then. Um, I kind of like Wisconsin, though, to, to win this one. Yeah, Ethan Kaliak Manis is going to need to play like he did in Madison last year. We talked about that in the preseason, threw for 300 yards there. I don't know if he can do that, but he uh, needs to protect the football and be be efficient. If they do that, I think Minnesota wins. It would be amusing, though, to see, like, if Minnesota wins again, how many Big Ten West teams, like, just squeak into these bowl games. <laughs> I mean, you know, with so many on the cusp. I, just like five I, I have this weird chaos theory that the Big Ten West is going to have a good bowl mm. season. You're going to have a bunch of teams that get in at, like, six and six, seven and five, but, like... Love, are Love and Be in there? I, I wish I had your optimism. There, but also, I think, you <laughs> I know, do it's, not. it's one of those... It's a situation where they have all these kind of middle-of-the-road records, but maybe they're all just really good and beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden they get in and maybe they're able to, to show that Big Ten West is maybe a little disrespected. I, out there. I just think they're all kind of crap all right. <laughs> outside of Iowa. So there's, uh, there's two perspectives. <laughs> Take which one you want, folks. Uh, Maryland, a one-point favor at Rutgers. 2.30 kick on BTN, uh, wrapping up those 2.30 games. I think Rutgers is really... Uh, boy, they really bounced back well after that Iowa game, even though they, too, have lost three games in a row. Um, they, they really hung with Penn State for a while um, and made that a close game or made you feel a little bit uncomfortable for the first three quarters. Uh, yeah, and with the way the Maryland's played in the second half of the season, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll take Rutgers in this one. I'm going Rutgers, too. Like I said, I think they've, or like you said, I, I think they've played well this football season and you know might have lost, what do you say, two in a row? Recently, yeah, Penn State, Iowa, and Ohio State, though, I mean, those are three really good teams, so I think they bounce back against Maryland. I think I'm going to take Maryland. Just they, they looked pretty darn good, and if they want to get into a shootout, that's something that Rutgers can't keep up with, so I'll take Maryland to, to cover the one, which is basically just picking Maryland to win. But, of course, everything will start at 11 a.m. Friday on CBS. We just heard from Garrett Hyde, weather first meteorologist. It's going to be 30 and a little windy. Can't wait to go. It's going to be super fun to wake up at 4.30 and drive. <laughs> Not going to complain. Number 17, Iowa, somehow drops the spot in the college football playoff despite going 9-2 and two and winning the Big Ten West. Who cares? They're at Nebraska, who has gone from a one-and-a-half-point underdog to a two-point home favorite. Who you got, Black Friday? Right now, for me, this is an easy pick for Iowa because even if they don't win, I feel like it's going to be a tight, tight game that's only decided by one or two points. So I, I think that Iowa at least keeps it close. If not, you know, maybe just lose by one point. So then margin, though. I mean, if they get a field goal, you know, and yeah. it's tied, it's then you lose the bet. Um, I've been picking against Iowa mainly superstitiously the past few weeks, but I really think Iowa's going to get it done this week. So yeah, I'm going to Iowa plus the two. Hopes. I think the money line's like plus one twelve or something yeah. right now. I not think that we not that we condone betting. This is just for fun. I think entertainment purposes only. <laughs> I think that um, that turn that you know you talking about the turnovers. I think that could play a big big factor. Even if it's not interceptions, I was on the verge of a few interceptions last week. I mean, they were just inches away from getting. Sean three. Lee had one that was right low. Sebastian Castro had one that was real close. Yeah. Um, 
And and if those, Hawks and ball Hawk. if those guys fumble the ball, I mean, gosh, Iowa can Iowa can strip the ball and they can force some fumbles. I feel like that could make a little bit of a difference on Friday. We'd love to see Jamari Harris get one too. He play, that was as good as he's looked um, in his Hawkeye career, and he's looked real good at times. He looked great against Illinois. Threw in one final thing here. We've been covering this team and its ups and downs and everything in between in through eleven games in twenty twenty three. What's the one aspect of Iowa you are most thankful for as we get into the holiday and? look back at this 2023 season. What's the thing about this team that you're most thankful for? Well, this team, I think in general, in well, general, the they keep me grounded. <laughs> <laughs> this team, I mean, I'm thankful that they mentioned it if, after the game. They just keep fighting. I mean, every game, there's a part of the game where you're like, this is not fun to watch. Seven punts in a row. No, not seven, but you know, five punts in a row, three, three and Seven's outs. probably right. Yeah. Last <laughs> week it was six, I think. Yeah. Um, but they somehow like never waver and they, they come back for the last punch and just like Matt rule. I was honestly shocked when, when Caleb Johnson broke for that touchdown. Yeah. Like I was, wow, you know, what a play. So I would say that just, they never give up. It's kind of a good way to model your life. You know, hmm. those guys don't care what anyone says. They're not flashy. They just get done. Yeah. Oh, Mike. Um, I am, I mean, more existentially, I'm thankful that I've had a chance to cover this team, you know, really start to finish this year outside of the Penn State game. I've been in every single game this season, had a chance to see some fun locations, cover a football game at Wrigley, go to the, go to, uh, Camp Randall for a game. I mean, it's, it's been fun just to get to go to these places and, and do something that, you know, a lot of people wish that they could do. And I'm, I'm really thankful for this job and to be able to do that every week. Um, but I'm also thankful that they play interesting games. And I, and I say, when I say interesting, I mean close games. <laughs> maybe they're less interesting, uh, you know, from an outsider's perspective. But, you know, a, a lot of people, maybe they enjoy covering a blowout, you know, when Alabama's beating teams 45 to three. There's probably a lot of fun in that too. But every week it's just like, you're just going to be ripping your hair out with this team with how close they play and how like just, they just got you on the edge of your seat. But boy, it is interesting every single week. And we, we're going to have some interesting highlights to show the viewers. Thankful for Phil Parker. Thankful for Tory Taylor. Um, <laughs> along the same lines as what you guys both mentioned, I am thankful Iowa is Iowa because you're going to get the same approach every, every week, for better or worse. They're going to play their game, but that also, I think, really helps us on the, the coverage side talk to these dudes about what they do away from football and get to know them as human beings and find out that Deacon Hill's got this car that he had to ship to Iowa because it wasn't going to make the drive from California. You get to talk to Jennings Dunker about what he eats on the sideline to, to keep him going the way he does. We get to hear some, you know, really tough stories. Deontay Vine's talking about finally getting his first touchdown, and it's right after he loses his uncle. We get to talk to uh, Quinn Schulte about being a walk-on from Cedar Rapids and, and just what it meant to get that, that interception there against Rutgers and, and that happening late get to talk to jay higgins about his dad is still more recognizable than he did we get to talk to these guys as people rather than just football players even as they're playing exemplary exemplary football we we don't have the numbers to get caught up in sometimes we don't have the flash to get caught up in sometimes so our amazing consolation prize is getting to know these guys as the 18 to 23 in tory's case 26 year olds that they are and that's a pretty darn cool thing. We've, we've talked about it a few times of just, it's so easy for a guy to throw a helmet on and you forget who he is, but 
you know, talking about Nico Ragani's family and learning the proper pronunciation of Ragani. Those are the things I'm really thankful Maybe for. Maybe he should learn it. <laughs> he still says Ragani. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough, tough habit to break. I think he'll answer to anything, but I, I'm, I'm thankful for these guys playing the way they do because it lets us get to know them the way we have. And that's a pretty darn cool thing. Yeah, it's been a good season. I've had a lot of fun. I almost said uh, thankful they, they feed us every game, but I'm glad I didn't say that. <laughs> Listen, we, we were talking, for, the, for those who are listening who are familiar with the, the, the media food situation from like 10, 12 years ago, it was kind of like this small room up some stairs and it was like sandwiches and chips. I mean, hey, we're, we're getting food while we cover a sport. That's a pretty good deal in and of itself, but... Um, the hospitality is pretty darn good. And the, and the SID guys we work with, Matt Weitzel, James Allen, um, that whole team are, are really, really terrific. Bailey Turner on the on the basketball side, just some really good folks. So thankful to everybody involved in the program. We mm-hmm. uh, we we never have any issues, it feels like, yeah. so that's, that's pretty fun. Yeah. At least we don't have to pay for the food. When I went to Wrigley, they, they make you pay for it. Oh, really? Medium meal, yeah, nine bucks. In this economy. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. <laughs> We'll, we'll take the wins and the losses how we can. We're, we're grateful to be able to do what we do, thankful for it, certainly thankful for everybody who's been supporting this podcast from the beginning. Somehow we're previewing our 12th game of the season, so we only had a couple more of these. So We got a, right before we wrap up, we got a comment, and we Hair mentioned trigger? it. Hair trigger? No, it's from Kyle, and you know we don't really know what it is, but I figured we could talk about it. We talked about it earlier. Kay McNamara tweeted something big is coming. Any chance he's healthier sooner than later? I made the joke, he, so... Last Saturday was the first time we've seen him without a brace on his leg since tearing his ACL and he was out there throwing. And I made the joke online of like, he's probably going to start for the Jets by, by Christmas because that's the whole <laughs> Yeah, the, he's trying to be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, like people with their jaws on the floor because six weeks after he did his Achilles, Aaron Rodgers is standing flat-footed throwing a football on the field. Like your Achilles isn't up here, guys. Like it's <laughs> like there was so much talk about that. I, I don't think he'll be back <laughs> to play he tore yeah. his ACL um, there's speculation about that's is it about somebody in the transfer portal is it some cool NIL thing um, yeah could be a lot of things yeah I just figured we'd mention it it's out in the it's out in the internet so I'm sure a lot of Hawkeye fans will talk about it hard to say I don't think that he plays again this year I don't oh, think there's no. any chance that they're risking yeah. him if, if they were a team that like hadn't lost to Minnesota and they're on the verge of maybe making the CFP and a bunch of other things and he's possibly healthy, maybe you give him a go. But I mean, at this point, like, what do you have to gain by trying? Yeah, I, he won't be medically it's, cleared for months. I'd be surprised if he's out there for the spring. It's, just because it's, it's a yeah. DCL. I like your guess. I, I think mean, it's transfer news. Um, oh, how who's cool the Utah? Is it? Cam how, Rising tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl and he missed yeah, all this year. Yeah. He's going to come back next year for like a seventh yeah. year. He, he probably won't be out for the the spring i would be shocked yeah. if he was no for sure but how cool is it now that your top two quarterbacks going into 2024 as it stands are going to be the guy who won the 2021 big 10 championship and the guy who at the very least won the 2023 big 10 west championship that's a nice room to have mm-hmm. be thankful for that hawkeye fans we'll check back in with you saturday are we going to do noon saturday the recap do we decide well, we want to go earlier i want to go earlier just so i can live. watch the game yeah we we should uh 10 a.m.? Yeah. We'll, we'll tweet 10? it out on Friday. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Just stay by your phones. Stay by your phones on Saturday. We'll figure it out. Uh, and we'll recap everything that happens in Lincoln for you. Thanks for watching. Not just this episode or listening to this episode, but every episode of Eye on the Hawks. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs>